September 7th, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. I, Paul, really don't need to write to you, Corinthians, about this gift for the Christians in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to our friends in Macedonia that you Christians in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of them to begin helping. But I am sending these brothers just to be sure that you really are ready, as I told them you would be, with your money all collected. I don't want it to turn out that I was wrong in my boasting about you. I would be humiliated, and so would you, if some Macedonian Christians came with me, only to find that you still weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given under pressure. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, godly people give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will never be forgotten. For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer, and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will give you many opportunities to do good, and He will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched, so that you can give even more generously. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will break out in thanksgiving to God. So two good things will happen. The needs of the Christians in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanksgiving to God. You will be glorifying God through your generous gifts, for your generosity to them will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the wonderful grace of God shown through you. Thank God for His Son, a gift too wonderful for words. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, Paul says, take a stand, withstand, and then stand in the evil day. And believe me, the battle for your soul begins in your mind. If Satan can control your thoughts, he'll control your destiny. Because I assure you, when Satan sees you walking down the road like this, he will totally destroy you. You can't possibly survive in your own strength. Why are so many Christians decimated right now? Why are they just absolutely falling out? Because they don't have the strength to endure. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord. Say that with me. Be strong in the Lord. That means put on this whole armor.
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can get nothing from heaven without faith. Salvation comes by faith. Healing comes by faith. Peace, love, and joy come by faith. You are no match for the prince of darkness. But when you put on the whole armor of God, you are more than a conqueror. You can look the devil in the eye and say, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Get out of my life. Get out of my thoughts. Get out of my marriage. Get out of my home. Get away from my children. Get away from my health. The power and the anointing of God are with me. And I am the conqueror here. Resist steadfast in the faith. The translation is fight him and fight him every day. Resist him and resist him every day. James writes, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Take a stand means you refuse to be intimidated by Satan who comes as a roaring lion according to 1 Peter 5. In nothing, be not terrified by your adversary. In nothing, be not terrified by your adversary. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The truth is not something. The truth is someone. That someone is Jesus Christ. And when you know Him, you have the truth. And you walk in the truth. And you joy in the truth. And you rejoice with truth that is unspeakable and unshakable. Because Christ is the solid rock, the cornerstone, precious and elect in Zion. He's not trying to be truth. He is the truth. I want to put on the whole armor of God and come out fighting with fresh fire that I can be counted worthy to be numbered among the New Testament saints. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 19. Now this is the fourth of the penitential psalms. It came out of David's sin with Bathsheba and his futile attempt to cover it up. If any chapter in the Bible reveals the high cost of sinning, it's this one. Sin hurts the sinner. David's whole being was affected by his sin. His eyes, his mind, ears, his heart, his spirit, and mouth. He lost fellowship with God and the joy of the Lord. Are the pleasures of sin worth paying this great price? No, and sin hurts others. Sin can bring tragic consequences to the lives of others, especially one's family. David's sin led to Uriah's death, a loyal soldier. Also led to Bathsheba's baby dying. David's lovely daughter Tamar was violated by her own brother Amnon, uh, who was then killed by Absalom, who in turn was slain by Joab. Is a fleeting moment of sinful pleasure worth a lifetime of sorrow? Again, no. And sin hurts God. We hurt ourselves and others when we sin. But primarily, our sins are against God. Sin makes us dirty. Sin is rebellion against God's holy law. 
If you want to know how much sin hurts God, go to Calvary and see a son dying for the sins of the world. God is love, and our selfish sins break his heart. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 19. For the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. For I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the heart, so you can teach me to be wise in my inmost being. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to sinners, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord that I may praise you. You would not be pleased with sacrifices, or I would bring them. If I brought you a burnt offering, you would not accept it. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart, O God, you will not despise. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with worthy sacrifices and with our whole burnt offerings, and bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Keep away from angry, short-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul.